Did you know that the first lighthouse was the Alexandrian Lighthouse? Built by the Egyptians between 300 and 280 BC, it stood 450 feet high and was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Welcome to the Lore of the South. How was everyone's holiday? Good food, good company. Do y'all have any must-watch Christmas movies? And did y'all see any good light displays? I'm actually recording this on Christmas Day. I snuck out of the kitchen for a few minutes so that we could get this recorded and out for y'all by tomorrow, Sunday, the 26th. We're also hoping that we will get down to St. Augustine to visit my sister and her family. One of my nieces is here from Oklahoma, and I haven't seen her in years. I haven't met her husband or her two little girls, so we're really looking forward to that. Hey, Brett and family, if y'all are listening. This is our last Straight Out of the South episode. I've really enjoyed branching out and covering stories from beyond the southern U.S. We might have to make this an annual event. What do y'all think? In this episode, we're going to the Flannan Isles in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland to investigate the mystery of the Elaine Moore Lighthouse. I'm going to say this probably 20 different ways because of how it's supposed to be pronounced and how it looks. So please excuse me for that. Welcome to episode 34, The Mystery of the Ellen Moore Lighthouse. By pure accident, I chose this topic to be told on the 121st anniversary of its tragic discovery. Numerous movies, books, and even an episode of Doctor Who have covered this mystery. I'm hoping to put a bit of a different spin on the story and share some of the island's history as well. The island of Elaine Moore is part of an archipelago, a cluster of islands located off the northwestern coast of Scotland, just west of the Outer Hebrides. The chain of islands were named for a 7th century Irish abbot, St. Flannan. What is thought to be his chapel ruins can still be seen just down the hill from the lighthouse. Locals were known to visit the island, even leave sheep to graze on it, but they themselves would never stay past sunset, believing the island to be the dwelling place of the fey folk, and that the Ellen Moore held other supernatural powers. After St. Flannan, the only other human inhabitants of the island were those of the lighthouse keepers. The lighthouse construction was began in 1895 and the light was first lit on December 7, 1899. The lighthouse construction cost 1,899 pounds or 2,527 in U.S. dollars. The cost to bring the building supplies to the island to build a loading and unloading dock a crane system and a rail system to move supplies straight up the 148-foot cliff cost an additional 3,526 pounds, or $4,693, for a total cost of $7,220, or in today's money, about $241,781 US really kind of sounds like a bargain. I mean, like, you cannot buy a three-bedroom house for $241,000 these days. But to build an entire lighthouse on a remote, cliff-faced island? Sounds like a bargain. 
This part of the world is known for its wild and stormy seas, rogue waves, and relentless freezing cold winds. So these men who chose the life of a lighthouse keeper were made from sterner stuff than even those hardened men who came from the turn of the last century. On average, a team of three men would alternate shifts around the clock to make sure that the light always remained lit. In times of fog, the men would have to work in 16-hour shifts, manning the foghorns along with the light. They would work a two-week-long duty and would be waiting in great expectation for their relief crew to come and spell them for their two weeks off. On December 6, James Ducott, 43, the principal keeper, his assistant, Thomas Marshall, aged 40, and Donald MacArthur, aged 28, the occasional keeper, who was filling in for a man out on sick leave, stepped foot on the dock of the Ellen Moore and were never seen again. The light was seen to be on operation on December 7th, but not on the 8th, 9th, 10th, or 11th, but was visible again on the 12th. The lack of light could have been due to poor weather conditions between the Flannan Islands and the mainland. On December 15th, a captain of a passing steamer noted in his log that in spite of bad weather, that no light could be seen coming from the Ellen Moore Lighthouse. Upon docking, a message was passed up to the Northern Lighthouse Board. A relief vessel was due to go out on the 20th, but because of more dangerous weather, they were delayed by nearly a week. Upon arrival to the island, it was immediately obvious that something was wrong. The captain of the Hesperus, Jim Harvey, and the relief keeper, Joseph Moore, arrived at the East Landing on December 26, 1900 where they were greeted by an empty flagpole, no sign of the flag anywhere, a stack of empty provision boxes, and not a single living soul on the island. The ship's captain, Harvey, blew the horn, and one of his men fired off a flare, all in the hopes of gaining the attention of the three men who were supposed to be tending the light. There was no response. It was then decided that the relief keeper, Moore, would go ashore and try to locate the men, Maybe they were ill or injured and unable to come down to the loading dock. Moore rowed a small boat to the dock, climbed his way up to the lighthouse. There he found both the gate and the front door unlocked. He entered and found that all three bunks were unmade, that it appeared that they had just finished a meal because plates and cups and utensils were all laid out to dry. He also noted that two of the three oil slickers were missing from their hooks. The oddest thing of all was that all of the clocks had stopped. He returned to the Hesperus with his findings. Then he and the second mate and another seaman returned to investigate further. They found that the light was in perfect working order, its lens clean, and its fuel filled. They then spread out over the grounds. As I said before, other than the missing flag at the east landing, everything was just as it should be but once the crews reached the western landing site, it told a different tale. Iron railings were twisted and bent. The railway tracks had been ripped from their concrete foundations. A storage crate that was more than 108 feet above sea level had been tossed about and destroyed, its contents blown all over. Even further up on the cliff face, a one-ton rock had been broken loose from 200 feet above sea level. Turf and debris looked as though it had been plowed inland, 
by about 33 feet or so. Something massive had hit Ellen Moore. Moore, along with a couple of men from the Hesperus, reluctantly stayed on the Ellen Moore to tend the light. While the captain returned to the mainland to inform the Northern Lighthouse Bureau of their findings, or lack thereof, his letter dated from the 26th read, A dreadful accident has happened in the Flannins. The three keepers, Ducat, Marshall, and the Occasional, have disappeared from the island. Fired a rocket, but was no response made. Managed to land more, who went up to the station but found no keepers there. The clocks had stopped. Other signs indicated the accident must have happened about a week ago. Poor fellows. They must have been blown over the cliffs or drowned trying to secure the crane. Or something like that. Night coming on, we could not wait to make something as to their fate. I have left Mortar MacDonald, buoy master, and two seamen on the island to keep the light burning until you can make other arrangements. Will not return to Oban until I hear from you. I have repeated this wire to Muirhead, in case you are not at home. I will remain at the telegraph office tonight until it closes, if you wish to wire me. Moore fired off his own letter two days later, and his read thusly, Sir, it was with deep regret I wish to learn a very sad affair has taken place here during the past fortnight, namely the disappearance of my two fellow lightkeepers, Mr. Ducat Mr. Marshall, together with the occasional keeper Donald MacArthur, from off this island. As you are aware, the relief was made on the 26th day, as other relief days. We came to the anchorage under the Flannan Islands, and not seeing the lighthouse flag flying, we thought that they did not perceive us coming. The steamer horn was sounded several times, no reply. At last, Captain Harvey deemed it prudent to lower a boat and land a man if it was possible. I was first to land, leaving Mr. McCormick and his men in the boat, till I should return from the lighthouse. I went up, and on coming to the entrance gate, I found it closed. I made for the entrance door leading to the kitchen, and sort of room found it closed, and the door inside, but the kitchen door itself was open. On entering the kitchen, I looked at the fireplace and saw that the fire was not lighted for some days. I then entered the rooms in succession found the beds empty just as they had left them the early morning. I did not take time to search further, for I only too well knew that something serious had occurred. I darted out and made for the landing. When I reached there, I informed Mr. McCormack that the place was deserted. He with some of the men came up the second time, so to make sure, but unfortunately, the first impression was only too true. Mr. McCormack and myself proceeded to the light room, but everything was in proper order. The lamp was clean, the fountain full, blinds on the windows, etc. We left and proceeded on board the steamer. On arrival, Captain Harvey ordered me back again to the island accompanied with Mr. MacDonald, the buoy master, a Campbell, and a Lamont, who were to do duty with me, till timely aid should arrive. We went ashore and proceeded up to the light room and lighted the light in the proper time that night and every night since. The following day we traversed the island from end to end, but still nothing to be seen to convince us of how it happened. Nothing appears touched at East Landing to show that they were taken from there. Ropes are all in their respective places in the shelter, just as they were left after the relief on the 7th. 
On the west side, it was somewhat different. We had an old box halfway up the railway for holding West Landing mooring ropes and tackle, and it was gone. Some of the ropes, as it appears, got washed out, and they lie strewn on the rocks near the crane. The crane itself is safe. The iron railings, along with the passage connecting the railway to the footpath to the landing, and started from their foundations and broken in several places. Along the railing, around the crane, a handrail for making mooring ropes fast for a boat is entirely carried away. Now there is nothing to give us any indication that it was here that the poor men lost their lives, only that Mr. Marshall has his sea boots on and oilskins. Also Mr. Ducat had his sea boots on. He had no oilskin, only had a waterproof coat. And that is why Donald MacArthur has his wearing coat left behind him shows as far as I know that he went out in shirt sleeves. He never used any other coat on previous occasions, only the one I am referring to. Northern Lighthouse Board Superintendent Muirhead arrived the day after Moore sent his letter. He brought along three men to help with his investigations. It was in his findings that he felt that the three keepers, James Ducott, Thomas Marshall, and Donald MacArthur, were all swept out to sea by a rogue wave, or maybe even blown off the cliff in a terrible storm. That evidence of the one coat left behind in awful winter weather showed that one of the men had fled the keeper's house in a panic, which was a big no-no, panicked or otherwise. There was always to be one man left at the lighthouse no matter what. The keeper's number one job was to keep the light burning. Muirhead surmised that Ducat and Marshall must have gone to the western side of the island to secure supplies and other items. When MacArthur saw that a wave was bearing down on them, he ran from the safety of the keeper's house to warn his fellow keepers of impending danger, and all men were lost to the waves, wind, and sea. Even though these findings seemed the most likely explanation, speculations and rumors abounded. Were the men kidnapped by pirates? Or maybe foreign spies? Did one of the men go mad and kill the other two, then himself, hurling all of them into the sea below? Or maybe it was supernatural forces. Maybe they angered the Fae that the ancients thought dwelt on the island, and they were taken by them. For decades after their disappearances, new keepers to the island would claim to hear voices in the wind, never actually understanding what was being said, just managing to catch a trilling voice here and there. The lighthouse continued to be manned until it was automated September 28, 1971. No other keepers were ever lost on the Eileen Moore again. And that was the mystery of the Ellen Moore Lighthouse. 121 years to the day of the discovery of the missing keepers. Side notes. There were several made-up log entries that were created over the last century to add to the mystery. I chose not to include them while I continue with the false info. There was also a poem written about the three keepers, but many of the details in the poem were taken from the mystery of the ship the Mary Celeste. Again, the Ellen Moore story is wild enough without confusing the facts. Hope y'all enjoyed that. I hope y'all had a Merry Christmas. And now it's recommendations time. Um, let's go with Station Eleven on HBO Max. It's based on a book series by Emily St. John Mandel. 
It takes place during and into the aftermath of a pandemic. Go figure. So if you're into the apocalyptic genre, I think you'll like this story. Just be prepared. It skips around a lot timeline wise. Leave us a review. Something like this new review that I just happened to see last night before recording this. And I thought that I would read it out to y'all. This is our first new review since like April. So it's been a minute y'all. But this was very nice. This is from SK1885. This podcast is extremely entertaining and the history is fascinating. The host seems well informed and her voice is calming. Definitely worth binging. Thank you for that. My children would beg to differ on how calming my voice sounds, but I really appreciate the compliment and we would love to have more reviews from you all. Please share us, share your favorite episode with a friend. Look for Lord of the South on social media. Y'all know I always post pictures to go along with each stories. And if you want to get in touch or have a show idea, you can email us at lauraofthesouth at gmail.com. And with that, we'll talk to y'all in the new year on Lore of the South.